The starting five here on The Drive with Tim Donnelly on 99.9 The Fan is brought to you by Window Nation. And we're starting off the starting five with uh, with a doozy. Kevin Keats, North Carolina State head basketball coach, joining us on the Heaster Automotive Group hotline. Uh, coach, thank you very much for, for taking the time to join us. Uh, I'll start with uh, kind of the vibe of this offseason. I, I have to imagine the uh, the last few have been – you know, with with dogged intensity to to get back to the NCAA tournament after after going on a streak of of missing out on that particular postseason opportunity, but you were back in it this past year. You, you made it into the tourney. What challenges are, are maybe different that you're facing this off season, trying to build off a tourney appearance rather than trying to to flush the past and, and look towards the future like like you have been the past couple? Well, Tim, thanks for having me on and. Um... Way to way to bring me down to earth, knowing <laughs> that um, Tequavion Smith and Jaquel Joyner will mm. not be wearing that uniform next year. So let's just let's start with that. And uh, man, what a great bunch of young men that I had a chance to coach last year. And um, you know they were tremendous in a lot of areas. And you know they they're not back. And so you know we went out and you know we got new eight new faces, uh, seven transfers, and one freshman. And as anybody will tell you in basketball, one of the biggest things that we've been able to try to do this summer is to try to develop as much chemistry as we can with this group of guys. Uh, we've got five guys returning, two starters, and DJ Burns and Casey Morsell. Uh I'm still trying to learn everybody's name. I'm only joking <laughs> when I say that. But uh, it's a good bunch of guys. And, you know, one of the, the biggest things we've done so far is just learning how to compete hard and play the way we want to play and then hopefully a lot of things will fall in place for us i want to talk to you about that that chemistry building process but first since since uh you mentioned his name to quavian smith i'm sure you've been been noticing he's kind of filling it up in the nba summer league just can't came to a, a close for philly 15 points per game 38 percent shooting from three uh is is that what you expected or what is the trajectory you see for his pro career well that's what i expected um you know he, he's been uh an underdog all his life. Um, you know, there was folks that said he could never play in the ACC and he was too small and, uh, you know, was a volume shooter. And then even on draft night, you know, I, I think he was, you know, really overlooked and kind of disrespected. And But he's had a great summer league. Um, he landed with uh, Philly, mm -hmm. who didn't have any draft picks, and uh, that was a really good thing for him. And, you know, I think he's averaged around 14, 15 points a game has had some really good games and, you know, he's a guy that um, he's going to use the motivation of, you know, people doubting him and not having the opportunity to get drafted, you know, to put himself in a good situation. But, you know, I was proud of him. I was also proud of Darion Sebron. I was mm -hmm. proud of Jaquel Joyner. I think all three of those guys had really good summer league um, games. Kevin Keats, North Carolina State head basketball coach, connecting with us on the Heaster Automotive Group hotline. Uh, we'll go to another name you just brought up, Jerkel Joyner. Uh, over the, I mean, last season you received a lot of big contributions from from transfers, right, guys that that got to your campus after spending some time somewhere else in college basketball. Joyner, uh, DJ Burns, who's still around, uh, Jack Clark, a few others. This off season, again, very active in the portal. You brought it up, a, a ton of transfers coming in. When you know an outside observer refers to your program as transfer you, or or says you're you know choosing to build your program by by leaning on the portal a ton, how do you react? Is it, like what are your your feelings when that's brought up? Well, I just you know I, I react to I think in today's time and 
you look around just college basketball, most of the programs um, are going to have transfers. Um, you know, in our situation, we addressed a bunch of needs that we have. So when you look at last year's team, we brought in four guys that we really needed to have. We needed a post presence. That's why we got Deshaun Mahorshik and, um, you know, we needed guard play. And obviously Jack Clark was a stretch four and Jaquel Joyner. Uh, and then obviously DJ Burns. I think it's important to understand that every year is going to be a little bit different as you get more guys in your program that's, uh, that are transfers, that means you'll have more guys that's returning if they're not graduating. So in this situation, it doesn't bother me. I, I actually I take it as a compliment. Um, you know, we're out here working. We're addressing needs. And, you know, if there was a, a such thing for a McDonald's All-American transfer, we'd have to mention Jaquel as that type of guy. What are What are some of the biggest challenges about integrating guys that have – already been a part of a different college basketball culture into your culture, right? When, when you get a freshman, you're kind of teaching them how to be a college athlete. Uh, a lot of these guys show up already knowing how to be a college athlete, but you have to teach them how to be like, you know, an NC State college athlete. What are some of the challenges involved in, in that process? Well, I think the biggest, Tim, I think one of the biggest thing is just getting everybody on the same page. Uh, for example, you know, I've got eight guys that's coming in that were from different programs that played for some really good coaches and different systems. And, you know, what we try to do in the summer is try to get guys to figure out what our system's going to be, how we're going to play, both offensively and defensively. Uh, we want them to hang out on the court and off the court as much as possible because, you know, the chemistry is what takes you over the hump. I've seen some great teams over the year that had really good players that didn't end up winning a lot of games because they never had chemistry. And, you know, the one thing that was um, really apparent about last year's team is that our chemistry was really good. You know, we were fortunate to be able to take a summer trip to Bahamas and practice 10 days and be able to play in a few games. Uh, and we're trying to develop that now. We don't have a foreign trip in our back pocket, but more importantly, getting these guys to try to learn each other in a, in a short amount of time. That voice you hear is Kevin Keats, head coach of North Carolina State men's basketball. Uh, coach, you, you bring up learning like how you're going to play, what the scheme and style is going to be. I, I have to imagine you're crafting that in part to the the, the skill set of the players that are on campus and, and with so many new faces. How are you going to play next year? Well, we want to play fast, um, as we always do. Um, you know, this may be, could be one of the deepest teams that we've had, knock on wood, you know, barring any type of injuries from any player. Uh, but also, we do have a post guy who's very efficient. And mm. although we want to play fast, you know, when we get in a half-court situation, you know, we've got a reliable post guy in D.J. Burns who we can really throw the ball inside and he can score the ball, but he's a very good passer. And so, you know, we want to have, you know, if we can get out in transition as much as we can, we would learn, certainly love to do that, but we can also play through D.J. Burns, who at times you guys may think he's our point guard. Now, that he'll be out front running the point, but because his ability to find open guys, I think that will help him a lot. I, I love hearing that because, I mean, D.J. Burns, uh, obviously returning, he's also just like a big, physical, imposing figure, right? He comes with uh, a certain amount of girth and height and, and those sorts of things. Uh, how important is he, not just in, in the scheme, as you mentioned, but – you know, I played college sports, and a lot of times the biggest guy is the tone setter by default, right? When 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 he's running the court, everyone's running the court. How important is he to your program from a personality standpoint? Uh, again, as you you build that chemistry that you keep referencing, 
You know, he is so important to us in a lot of ways. Um, number one, it's very um, – it's hard to find a guy who can score in college basketball with their back to the basket. Uh, it just doesn't happen anymore. It may be five of those players in the country. And then his ability and his willingness to make easy passes or the right play is very, you know, that, that's very, you know, that's a plus for our team. And then, you know, obviously, um, you know, we, we don't let him off the hook now. We expect him to run the floor too now and to be able to get some easy baskets. And so his leadership, um, you know, he and Casey Morsell are the two guys who started last year. And so they're the two guys who are kind of a tone setter for the rest of the guys to show them what the program's about. And, you know, we're talking about two guys and five total and scholarship guys who are all NCAA guys now. When I first, you know, before the year started last year, I asked how many guys that went to the NCAA, and it wasn't but maybe one or two guys that were able to raise their hand. Uh, when you look at the walk-ons and you look at the five guys that we have returning, at least eight guys who have played in the program has been to the tournament. I mean, and, and that experience matters. I also love that you gave a shout out to, to back to the basket scoring. You're right. You don't see it much, little little old school there, but I, I like having that in your back pocket, right? Yeah, it's I mean, he is um you know, I, I take you back to a couple games where the ball wasn't going in from the outside and you know, we just decided to make an effort to get DJ the ball every time down and man, he was um he did a great job. He found people, he could score the ball. Uh, he's different, Tim, because he's a lefty. Mm. And most time you, it's, you don't play against a lefty and, and certainly a lefty post player. Coach, we appreciate you for taking the time. Uh, I look forward to doing this uh, again in the future. And uh, and good luck building that chemistry. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. Once again, that is Kevin Keats, North Carolina State head basketball coach. Uh, that is – by the way, for anyone that's ever played pickup basketball, anyone that played high school basketball, if you've played any kind of basketball, the left-handed post player, it's like a, it's, it's a, it is a mind trap, right? You just, you, I don't know. Lefty jumpers look more, m more pure lefty post moves. Just don't make sense. It's, it's <laughs> something about like, I don't know, mirror image. It's, it's confusing. Like left-handed catchers. It, it does. It's just. It just something looks funny. It looks like you're you're playing like you flipped it in Photoshop or something, and you're you're always jumping the wrong way. It's a, it's a great point, and I, I love that. Right, Coach Keats, right, high level basketball mind. He's coached under Rick Pitino. He's he's co you know as high as third in the finishing in the ACC, and it's still just like sometimes lefty guys are different. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes they're they're hard to 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 pin down down there in the post. It, it's sometimes that simple. Uh, that's. That was number five on our starting five here on the drive. Let's go to four. Uh, the PNC Arena news. Earlier today, uh, we talked about a tweet from Brian Murphy. Okay, he's he's a WRAL sports investigative reporter. You all know him. He's been on right here in this time slot within the last week. Um, his tweet essentially said that the Centennial Authority, which owns PNC Arena, has approved an extension on a, a negotiator. That is has been in on the negotiations with the Canes on a long-term lease to PNC Arena. The part I want to focus on is this is from the tweet from Brian Murphy. There is hope among members that talks will not take long. That is not only hopes among members, that is hopes that we can all agree on, right? This is one of those conversations that, that should not take long, that we don't want to take long. 
I and I understand it's likely going to happen anyway, right? I understand that there's, I would say, little reason to worry for any kind of movement from the Canes. But just to put the worst case scenario out of our brain, get pen to paper, right? Just to get the worst case scenario and make it a 0% chance, put pen to paper, please, right? I'm, I'm asking nicely. Don't turn us into Phoenix or even put us in even near the same conversation as Phoenix yeah. when it comes to the, their NHL franchise. Uh, but I do like that they're they're at least making the necessary steps. Right? We see this in, in college or uh, pro f- player negotiations. Oh, they've stopped talking. That's always a very, yes, like Rappaport or Schefter saying, you know, they've stopped talking is always like, uh-oh. If they're extending the contract of a negotiator, they're still talking, which means I'm not worried. Let's get to number three. Here's the deal. Riley Leonard, he's being pushed to the background, okay? And when we were a culprit, I've already owned up to it, right? I raised my hand. I did the whole thing. It's your fault, Tim. It's it's, it's our fault, Dennis. We are a team here. Fair enough. Right? Don't, don't. <laughs> it's the post-game press conference rule number one. After a loss, you say we. After a win, you say we. After a loss, you say I. I forget what it is. Yeah. Here's <laughs> this is how I always it was always explained to me. Mm-hmm. After a win, you deflect credit. After a loss, you attract blame. Yeah. That's how like leadership works. Dennis decided to just throw all the blame my way. I see how it is. Mm-hmm. Yesterday on the show, we talked about Drake May. It was the first show of the, of the drive with Tim Donnelly on 99.9 The Fan. Uh, and I'm a quarterback nerd, self-admitted, self-named self, self uh, named quarterback nerd. Uh, played quarterback in college. We talked about Drake May because he's everybody's you know top draft pick in the ACC. We talked about Brennan Armstrong because he's kind of interesting coming in, trying to be a reclamation project with his old coordinator uh, at State. And, and then literally with a minute left in the show, we had Mike Glennon, the former NC State and NFL quarterback here in studio. I went, uh, in a minute or less, what do you have to say about Riley Leonard? And that just felt wrong to me. So I dove in even further today. And, and you know, Jordan Travis is kind of one of the, the quarterbacks of the moment, Florida State's quarterback. He had 31 total touchdowns and five interceptions last year. Riley Leonard, who is fading into the background of most ACC quarterback conversations, 33 total touchdowns and six interceptions. So Riley Leonard deserves to be in more conversations is basically what I'm getting at here. He deserves to be mentioned when you're mentioning those other guys who we talked about yesterday and who we've already talked about a little bit today and and that's kind of the point right there doesn't there you don't always have to say someone was wrong you don't always have to say uh you know you're incorrect sometimes it's just mention this right hey when you're having the conversation make sure you don't go the whole time without saying this name I brought it up earlier. When you're talking about goats of, of basketball history, it's kind of become the MJ versus LeBron debate. It's it's one that's been had a million trillion times. It's probably being had somewhere right now, a hundred different places. I, I, again, I don't know where these weird stats are popping into my brain. There's a stat that says like any good idea is happening four times simultaneously in the world, right? And only one of them might be acted upon, but the idea is being had. Like, right now, there's a 1,000 people debating LeBron versus MJ. You have to throw Bill Russell in there, right? Just out of respect for the game and respect for championships, you have to throw Bill Russell's name in. No one actually believes he's the best player of all time. But, 
you have to throw his name in there and just go like noted we did our due diligence now let's move on that's Riley Leonard you might not think he's the best quarterback in the ACC and I'm not here to tell you he is but throw his name in there and do your due diligence before you move on that's what I'm getting at let's get to number two this is the starting five on the drive with Tim Donnelly it is presented by Window Nation and uh, the number two in our starting five Brian Burns contract yeah Brian Burns contract talk about pen to paper talk about pen to paper would you buy a special pen if you were going to sign the contract that Brian Burns is going to sign? Yeah. Get something fancy? I would. Something, you know, uh, like golden in a case of some kind that you can take out and only sign when you're signing a deal for $100 million? Mm-hmm. I would. I'd keep it on a shelf or something. With my sneakers. <laughs> I'll get a, get a, a glass case for it or the I plastic would. case for it, not the, not the gold case. Um, I do think that would be something <laughs> that you might want to, like, pass down to your grandkids. When it's like, hey, grandchildren, the reason why your college tuition is already covered, this pen was a part of that. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's seriously the type of money that they should be comfortable, happy to give Brian Burns. The type of money that makes it so his grandkids' college educations are already spoken for. Uh, he, it's going to be big. It's going to be a number that I, uh, you know, I'm sure David Tepper would rather keep in his account. But if you want to win, if you want to... Uh, build, you can't let your best players leave. You can't let your best players even build up like a personal uh, antagonizing relationship with with your franchise, right? Because sometimes there is like a, a franchise player who at no point in their career is ever like happy with the team they're playing for, right? And then you get to the end and, and you know, you're putting them in the ring of honor and everything, and they're there just for the fans, and they're not doing all the extras. It's, it's just you don't want to have that type of relationship. And right now, Brian Burns is your your golden goose, right? He is the main main character of your movie if you're the Panthers. The way I described it earlier is uh, ESPN, and you can find the lists on ESPN.com. Uh, they surveyed league executives, scouts, coaches, players, uh, and compile the list based on those surveys who the top 10 players at every position are. They had interior offensive linemen. They had tackles. They had defensive edge rushers and linebackers and corners, and they listed them all, the top 10 at their position. The Panthers had one player in the top 10 of any position, Mm. and it was Brian Burns, who was seventh at edge rusher. Get that guy signed. Yeah. If you if you had, you know, every position a top 10 player, then I'd be like, "All right, you're going to you probably can't afford all of them." Right? It's it's you see it in baseball more often where one team has like four starting pitchers. They're all still in their their rookie contracts. They're all still on those first 6 years of team control and they're all throwing 100 miles an hour and striking teams uh, striking a bunch of guys out. And you're like you better pick the two you like best cuz you're not going to be able to afford all four of them. If they were in that situation, if it were like, you know, caviar problems and you had too many top 10 guys, then you could play hardball with Brian Burns. If you have one top 10 person at their position, mm-hmm. hardball left the station a long time ago. You grovel. You say, please stay and let us build around you. What do you need? <laughs> exactly. It's, I'm going to slide a piece of paper across the table. And, right, the cliche is you have a number written on it. Write your number on it and slide it back to me, and we'll be good. Like, that's kind of what it has to be for a player like Brian Burns in the situation that they're in. And finally, number one in our starting five. NFL running backs 
are in the funniest situation I've seen in a while. Miles Sanders and actually the Carolina Panthers agreed to the largest free agency running back deal of the offseason. Not a large amount of money when it comes to NFL contracts. Large amount of money for the rest of us. About six, six and a half million a year. Not a large amount of money when it comes to NFL contracts. Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, uh, Josh Jacobs, all guys due to be to, to be free agents, ended up franchise tagged. They didn't get a long-term deal. And this upset running backs everywhere. Yesterday, we had a bombardment on social media of angry running backs. Jonathan Taylor was mad. Austin Eckler was mad. Derrick Henry was mad. Christian McCaffrey was mad. They were all just angry. The question really becomes... Actually, I don't want to say the question becomes. Let me phrase that differently. It's obvious the NFL is devaluing the running back position. One of the questions that it does present is why aren't the Carolina Panthers picking up on it like everybody else? <laughs> what do they know that we don't? Yeah, what what did they think they know that everybody else doesn't get? Because Christian McCaffrey is right now the high watermark of running backs. So even if like that was the moment it changed and nobody wants to pay that much anymore, why were the Panthers the last to figure it out? And then why was this offseason they were willing to pay more for a free agent running back than anyone else was w- willing to agree to a deal on? Like, what, what is it about running backs that they're all in on when, when you know, everybody else seems to be bailing? There, there has to be that moment, right? Like, uh, actually, I saw it in NBA Summer League. This is, this is maybe the most simple analogy we can use for where they are on their running back strategy right now. Uh, in the NBA Summer League, there was a player who it looked like scored on the wrong basket. Mm-hmm. Right, they, they grabbed a, an inbounds and took off, and everybody else was defending and looking like they were setting up an offensive play on one side of the court. He grabbed the ball, and he ran to the other bucket and, and dunked it, made a layup, whatever it was. There's only two possibilities there, right? Either he is the only one paying attention or he's the only one not paying attention. Because if he's the only one paying attention, then everybody else is just set up on the wrong side, and he's going to go get the easiest two points of his life. Or he's the only one not paying attention, and he's – about to go score two points for the other team. And that's going to be very embarrassing, and it's going to be on blooper reels for the, the rest of time. The Panthers are kind of there with running backs. Either they're the only ones that are going to have any kind of running game because they're the only ones willing to pay running backs, and they're smarter than everyone else, and they're going to get the easiest value of their lives. Or they're going to give two points to everybody else, and they're going to hurt themselves because they're paying a bunch of money to a position that nobody else sees as necessary. Wrexham versus Chelsea. Keenan Stadium, Chapel Hill. We're having a moment here in the triangle when it comes to soccer. In America, really. Uh, Joe Pompliano, who covers kind of the business side of sports, tweeted out, there are typically only a few media members, sometimes none at all, at inner Miami training sessions. Uh, Lionel Messi had his first training session this morning. There were 200-plus media members. Goodness. That's, that's That's a moment right there. There's going to be, you know, if not a completely packed Keenan Stadium, there will be a ton of people watching a, like, exhibition-friendly Chelsea versus Wrexham soccer match tomorrow in in the middle of July here in the Triangle. That is what I talk about, or that is what I'm talking about when I say it's having a moment. And and the question is, and, and we asked this earlier, 
is is the moment going to break through and actually level up soccer or is it going to be hey remember that time when soccer was kind of buzzworthy for for those couple of months or that that Netflix documentary and then Messi was here cuz i feel like that's kind of what happened with Beckham right Beckham was a i mean that was a, a a thing that was a moment when he came to America and then it faded and then kind of settled back into where it was mm mm-hmm. mhm now we're having another moment. Everyone's paying attention. There's uh, Ryan Reynolds. There, there's documentaries. There's Lionel Messi. There were, I mean, that Messi introduction, whatever it was, was crazy. It was pouring rain, delayed two hours, lightning. All he was doing was walking across the stage. Didn't even say anything. Like he he gave uh, Beckham a bro hug. Like that. That's what it was. Right. Normally, that kind of like uh, ridiculous attention and live crowd for not a live event, like like is reserved for like the NFL draft. The NFL draft guys just walk across the stadium and hold up a jersey, and there's two hundred thousand people watching. That uh, the NFL is the most popular. It's it's king here in in the United States of America. Lionel Messi got some of that same treatment. That is the moment that's going on right now. But the question is, can it convert? Right. The question is, can it go from a moment to a prolonged deal? And and the only way they do that is by having the product. The only way they, they make it extended is by having the actual entertainment value on their product. I'll, I'll put it like this. There's been a battle, and I guess maybe the XFL is there, maybe the US or USFL, whatever it is. There, there's been a battle to have a spring football league for years and years and years and years. And there's always the temptation to use a, a stunt signing, right? Go get Tim Tebow in your league. Go get Johnny Manziel in your league. Colin Kaepernick in your league. Somebody that everybody's going to want to see if they still have it, right? And, and once they're there eyeballs will come. But the thing that I'm always screaming is that will be eyeballs for a weekend. That will be eyeballs for a month, maybe. And then if the if the actual football that you're playing isn't entertaining, everybody's going to move on. I'll tune in to see Johnny Manziel play football in a new startup league for two weeks. But if I, wa- I tune in and it's boring, I'm not going to tune in for three. Lionel Messi, the, this Netflix documentary, Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElhenney, they are the the stunt casting. They are like I'm going to tune in to watch. But once I'm watching, it better be interesting, right? Everything that is said about soccer better be true. All of the, oh, it's act- once you get into it, once you learn about it, it really is exciting. That better be true. Right? There's there, like right that. Tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, in in Keenan Stadium over there in Chapel Hill, there are going to be a ton of people that are attending their first, like, non-associated with the school they went to soccer game. Maybe in high school they went to soccer games. Maybe when they were on campus they had a buddy on the team they went to soccer games. There's going to be a bunch of kids going to their first soccer game because they watched the Netflix thing or they, they, you know, like Deadpool and now they want to go watch Ryan Reynolds' team. There's going to be a ton of first-time in attendance, major, big production soccer fans. That's the moment. The challenge is make it so entertaining they want to come back. Right? Make it so exciting they want to come back. 
it's the same thing of what I was discussing, right? If if you put Tim Tebow on a spring football roster, there's going to be a bananas amount of Florida Gator fans that are going to tune into your spring football league for the first time. My my sister-in-law was uh at the at Florida while Tebow was was the the king of all college football. Oh yeah. She'll tune in, right? She'll watch the XFL. Sure. If Tim Tebow is there, mm-hmm. But I guarantee you four or five weeks in, if it's just boring football, she'll be like, well, I don't know, I'll watch the Tebow highlights later or something, but I'm not going to suffer through another one of these boring games. That's what's going on. Paul Parkinson, Wrexham's coach, talked to to the media about people approaching them in public, and this is kind of what I'm talking about, right? It's It's the celebrity element that they have right now that they're trying to turn into a movement. We've had a walk into the town. There's been quite a few people coming up to us and speaking about the club, which is, you know, which is great. And you know, I went on my own family holiday to, to Europe. Actually, and there was a lot of uh, uh, Americans in, in the uh, same resort coming up to me, speaking about Wrexham, which was I was a bit surprised at the time, but that was, you know, equally, you know, great to to listen to how much they knew about the team. You know, it wasn't just a um, you know, there's people coming and I've watched all the games, you know, I've watched every game I can, I've watched and, you know, knew all the players and a, a lot of people, a lot of American people had had a great knowledge of, of the team, which you know, for our players, it's just amazing. Two things on, on that comment. One, that shows that the buzz is there, right? People are not only like, oh, aren't you the guy from that thing? They know about your team. They, they know, they know about the sport Two. It puts a pressure on everybody from Wrexham. It puts a pressure on Messi, right? If you're the reason everyone's looking, if you're the reason everyone's watching, if you're the reason everyone's tuning in for the first time, when you bump into somebody in downtown Chapel Hill or wherever they're staying, you can't be a jerk. I'm sure uh, many of you saw the social media pictures of Lionel Messi at Publix, right? He was like looking for he had his family with yeah. him, looking for cereal. You know what? When people came up and asked him for a picture, he took the picture. That's very good for the sport. It seems little. It's very good for the sport. Oh, yeah. If he would have said, you know, buzz off with with, with language that I can't use on radio, would have been very bad for the sport. It would not have worked out well for him. And it would not have worked out well for, you know, the $200 jerseys of Lionel Messi that Inter-Miami is hoping to sell. And it wouldn't have worked out well for the Apple subscriptions that they're hoping to sell. It wouldn't have worked out well for any of that. Because if there's anything that goes viral, it's, you know, a, a mother posting on social media about the the famous athlete that was a jerk to their nine year old. People love spreading that stuff. They also love sp- spreading the good stuff as well, as we saw with Lionel Messi, like you know, pushing a cart in a grocery store, going to retweet it a bill- billion trillion times. Sometimes that 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 stuff just kind of gets you. He's like, wait a second, you also shop for groceries like me? Yeah, wait, yeah, wait. That's something that we we tend to forget. Wait, wait a second. Do you look at the ingredients? I don't know what any of these words are. Yeah, I feel I feel like I assumed he ate like every like hand prepped meal by a chef. Yeah, do you think he was grabbing like TV dinners? I need to see what his cart was like. That's a great question. Is he got a hungry man's? Yeah, is, is is he is he pulling up the Salisbury steak? What are we doing here, Messi? I felt like it was all like homegrown on like the fields of only you know the finest grain for somebody like Messi. Mm-hmm.